tell you all the time about my friends at Steel, S-T-I-H-L. They are a marvelous company. They're worldwide. They have over 9,000 independent local dealers throughout the United States. They're the official handheld outdoor power equipment of the Colorado Rockies. So if you are in the market for any sort of chainsaw, blower, trimmer, you need to look no further than your local steel dealer. Again, S-T-I-H-L. They have gas, electric, and battery-powered tools to get the job done. SteelDealers.com. Nothing better than a great cup of coffee to start your day or maybe a little nightcap. And there's nothing better than locally owned and operated Boyer's Coffee. They've been a sponsor of ours for more than a year. They've been in business since 1965. They make outstanding coffee, a number of flavors, and you can get it at your favorite local supermarket as well. Or you can go online to boyerscoffee.com and order anything you would like. Make sure you bring it home for the holidays. It's boyerscoffee.com. This week on the True Goodman Podcast, we've got a Rockies trade. Drew will break it down for you. Plus, the Broncos. Hold the horses, man. Stop running another quarterback out of town, whether it's Denver or some other city. And Drew's guest this week is Dodgers manager Dave Roberts, talking about winning it all, the state of baseball, and his friendship with Rockies manager Buddy Black. It's a natural friendship, and and Buddy just really mentored me. Always uh, relentlessly positive. During the season, I think that we kind of understand the lines drawn and there's respect, but um, but in the offseason, we definitely catch up a ton. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Drew Goodman Podcast. Tell you off the bat, we're going to talk uh, baseball in a moment. We're also going to talk on our Ideal Home Loans interview of the week with the manager of the world champion, L.A. Dodgers, Dave Roberts. I know that's uh, normally forbidden here in Rockies territory, but uh, Dave is uh, just an outstanding man. And we'll get his perspective, not only in the Dodgers run, but where baseball is as we embark on 2021 and a, and a view from afar of the Colorado Rockies as well from Dave Roberts. So that in a few minutes. We're going to start with football and then transition to uh, some baseball topics. The Broncos, as of uh, this taping prior to uh, Thanksgiving, and happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there, um, they had a nice victory against the Miami Dolphins. That was well done. Remember last week we were talking briefly about Drew Locke? I said, hold the horses, man. Stop running another quarterback out of town, whether it's Denver or some other city. We expect uh, instantaneous stardom from, from quarterbacks. It ain't that easy. He had played 12 games. Now he's played 13. He started in an awful manner against the Miami Dolphins. He threw a pick on his first attempt. He was 0 for 6. And then he went 18 for his next 24 for 270 yards and a very gratifying win against a solid Miami Dolphins team that had won five straight and presented a pretty good defense also coming to town. So Drew Locke, uh, I thought took a really nice step forward in that victory against Miami. And it wasn't just the overall numbers. It's how the game started. And coming off a, a subpar performance over the previous couple of weeks, it could have really gone south. But you learn something not only about his ability, but you learn something about his mental toughness in how he turned that football game around after the 0-6 start and the early pick. Also, kudos to the run game. 
He had both the backs, Melvin Gordon and uh, Philip Lindsay, over 80 yards rushing. And uh, I thought it was uh, maybe the, the the biggest win of the year or the most complete win of the year and uh, a nice ball game as it turned out for Drew Locke. All right, moving on from uh, football. So we're going to get to baseball naturally, the staple of our podcast. The Rockies made a trade. As of uh, this sitting, they made a trade with the Cincinnati Reds, Jeff Hoffman, and Case Williams, who was their fourth-round pick out of Douglas County High School, goes to the Cincinnati Reds in return. The Rockies get Robert Stevenson and Jamison Hanna. Now, Stevenson's a, a guy I've seen pitch. He's been in the big leagues for several years. He's a, a former number one, in fact, uh, in high school, uh, in Martinez, California, he was a Gatorade Player of the Year in the state of California, which says something. He was a number one pick, and they they tried him initially as a starter. He's really more of a two pitch guy, so I think his stuff played better in the bullpen. You know, he's a mid nineties arm with a, a heavy dose of a good slider. This year was not good. He battled some injuries. He threw only 10 innings. He gave up an alarming eight home runs. So you look at that and you go, ooh, that's not good. Look at his 2019 numbers. In a little more than 60 innings, he struck out more than 80 hitters. Uh, He had a really solid ERA. The home run rate was way down. The walk rate uh, was solid. So the peripherals in 2019 were really good. In fact, in the second half of 2019, he was one of the better uh, bullpen arms in the National League uh, statistically. So you hope that that's the guy the Rockies are getting, not the guy that uh, was a small sample size in 2020. And he can you know, factor into the to the bullpen and hopefully be a plus side guy for the Rockies moving forward. Uh, in terms of Jamison Hanna, he's played only 133 minor league games. Every minor leaguer lost this year. He's a, a former star at uh, Dallas Baptist, uh, kind of a, a smaller but stocky center fielder, 5'9", about 185, 190-pound uh, guy. Runs well, uh, you know, is hitting the mid-270s so far. Uh, he's never been above, uh, you know, high A ball. So we'll see how it plays out over a period of time with Jamison Hanna. Uh, again, the Rockies give up Case Williams, a fourth-round pick from Douglas County High School uh, that they liked a lot, uh, but you got to give something up to get something in return. The Rockies hope that, uh, that uh, Hanna can be a, a, a big league center fielder for them at some level at some point in time. Jeff Hoffman was the centerpiece, if you recall, the Troy Tulowitzki deal. He was number one pick out of East Carolina. He was drafted ninth overall. In fact, if he was not coming off Tommy John surgery, there was some speculation he go he may go in the first couple of picks of that draft. It never worked out uh, with the Rockies. Uh, as a starter and reliever, he had a mid-six ERA, and we know the ERAs typically are going to be higher pitching at altitude, uh, but it, it, you'd see flashes every once in a while. Jeff Hoffman could throw in the mid to upper 90s, and he had a, a sharp breaking ball, kind of a high spin rate guy, which is you know, important in how you evaluate pitchers to try to swing it you know, with, with how, how frequently they can miss bats. But there was never any consistency with Jeff Hoffman. Uh, he needed the proverbial change of scenery. And with the trade of Hoffman, you da- you now have to look back and say, okay, how do you regard that Troy Tulowitzki deal? Well, the Rockies in return get Jeff Hoffman, who never pans out with Colorado. They get Jose Reyes 
for a brief time, and, and we know he had the accusations of, uh, of battery, uh, with uh, domestic violence, and the Rockies, I think rightfully so, parted ways with him, and, and uh, the Montford family had to eat more than $40 million. Uh, Miguel Castro, another big arm who came uh, in that deal, was traded a, a couple of years ago. He was with Baltimore, and uh, last year he was with the Mets. He's, he's kind of been an up-and-down guy, high walk rate, can strike out some, but he's never really emerged from kind of being a journeyman guy. So not much in return for Tulowitzki. What softens the blow is that Tulowitzki, after he left Colorado, and quite honestly, even these last couple of years with the Rockies, Tulo for Hall of Fame talent couldn't stay on the field. To no fault of his own. I mean, I would see how hard that guy worked in his preparation to get on the field and stay on the field. Uh, he just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it with Toronto in his last stop with the Yankees. Uh, he could not do that. And, and I think ultimately what softened the blow is that uh, at the same time Tulowitzki left and, and, you know, Reyes arrived and then, uh, you know, obviously had his situation you had the emergence of Trevor Story, who not only became the replacement at shortstop, he became a superstar. And you have to view the Tulowitzki trade in that regard. I mean, if Troy Tulowitzki went to Toronto and then excelled again for three or four more years, you'd view it differently. But he was a big contract guy that unfortunately for him was damaged goods. So... I guess we can put a period on that trade now that Jeff Hoffman has been moved on to Cincinnati. Virtually next week, the winter meetings will take place. I normally go out to the winter meetings. It's when the whole industry gets together. It's been slower the last couple of years. Normally, there's a bevy of deals made. I think this year also will be slower, uh, not only because it's happening virtually, but maybe more um, importantly in that equation because of COVID, because owners lost so much money last year, because of the uncertainty as to how 2021 will play out. Uh, how many fans will be allowed in stands? At what point in time will fans be allowed in stands? Which you know is married certainly to how quickly uh, and efficiently we are able to get the vaccines uh, to the you know general population. So that uh, warrants uh, you know a closer look over the next couple of weeks. But the uh, winter meetings will take place virtually uh, a little more than a week from now, and we'll be. You know, I'm sure having some uh, discussion uh, on some moves that are made. Uh, the Braves went out a couple of days ago and, and re-signed Charlie Morton, who originally came up with them, a one-year $15 million deal. He leaves Tampa and uh, will bolster an already pretty strong pitching staff in Atlanta for a team that's hoping uh, to be a, a world championship contender. And they, they certainly were one of the best teams in baseball uh, in 2020 as well. So that's what I have uh, right now on some of the notes um, from a baseball standpoint. We're going to get to our interview with Dave Roberts here. And on the other side, I'm going to talk about uh, a couple of items that have my attention um, from a television, sports television standpoint. We're going to do that after the sit down with Dave Roberts, who after coming close for several years, he helped lead the Dodgers to a world championship this October. So here's my conversation with the L.A. manager, Dave Roberts. Well, Dave, I 
would imagine if I'm not the first person from Colorado, maybe I'm the second. Your good friend, Buddy Black, I'm sure has congratulated you on a world championship. But uh, maybe I'm number two from the state of Colorado. You know what? In the state of Colorado, uh, you are number two. Um, former Rocky uh, Josh Barr, our bullpen coach, doesn't count, uh, is a Colorado native. But uh, she, uh, Drew, you and I go way back, so I appreciate it. Yeah, you know what I was I was I was pulling for you, which is you know unusual the rivalry in, inside the division, but you know how fond I am of you, and it, it, you guys were deserving of it. I felt you know maybe for several years, but certainly this year, um, you guys were the best team in baseball. And I was watching with uh, you know a couple of my boys, and they and they were pulling for you as well because it just they felt like everything that that you guys had been through that. You know, it's it's kind of the rightful place. Um, not that there can't be upsets, and that's a beautiful thing about sports. And Tampa has a great story as well. But you guys clearly were the best team, and and it was borne out. No, I, I appreciate that. And you know what's funny is that it's interesting as uh, the manager of the Dodgers and a bigger market club. Obviously, you all, you get both sides, but most of it is people that root against you. And the, the national kind of theme in years past has been people and media and fans really guess which comes with it. Um, but it's interesting is that this year with what we went through over the last years and obviously that scandal with the Astros, it seemed like the majority uh, of the country was rooting for us. And it, w- it was a great postseason, and obviously uh, I can say that even more so uh, because we came out on top. You know, as a player, and I, I know you didn't get to actually participate in the World Series in 04, which is one of the most historic, you know, world championships because Boston hadn't won it in, in basically almost 100 years. Uh, but you had maybe, at least in my lifetime, the most famous stolen base in in, in history in, in helping Boston, you know, beat the Yankees in that great turnaround. Uh, was it more gratifying, less gratifying as a manager? How would you compare the two? And I'm sure you've been asked that. I have been asked that. And, and it's interesting is the more I get asked that question, I think that the more it goes to more gratifying as a manager. Um, I, I think initially it was kind of 50-50 a championship, uh, you know, 86 years as a player, 32 years as a manager. But I think that, you know, being a part of that Red Sox team, I was a trade deadline piece and have it had a pivotal play. I didn't participate at all in the World Series, but I knew my role. And uh, those guys that won that championship in 04 are first still tight. And uh, that can never be taken from, from me, from us. But I think through just the time that I put in with the Dodgers alone, that sweat equity of five years, uh, you know, getting so close and trying to not lay on the top, trying to keep everyone together and whether it's the coaches, the staff, uh, the front office, you know, managing media, and now most importantly the players, um, and all with that came with 2020, I think this one kind of surpassed it, and I'm, I'm proud of both, though, obviously. As well, you should be. How nerve-wracking is it? Uh, because when you're, as a manager, you know, you can, you can make certain – tactical move certainly but you're not participating from a player standpoint it's like watching your kids i have three boys you have you have a couple of kids that, that are athletes and you know it, it's it, it's almost tougher to watch than it is to participate do you feel the same thing when you're on the top step of the dugout i do i i do um you know i think ultimately as a coach you don't have 
yeah, I can make moves, but ultimately, and, and you know, put together lineups. And our, my job ultimately, and the coaches, is to put these guys in the best position to try to win a baseball game. And and after that, it's up to the players. But I think that when you're invested so much as a coach into the players, you want to see them do well, not only for themselves, but for the ball club. And um, I definitely like it to, um, yeah, watching my son play baseball and how I have no control. You just pull for him so hard. And, you know, you guys see it every night in Denver with Buddy, and, you know, he's the player's biggest fan. And that's a lot where I learned it from, just kind of pulling for your players. And obviously when you get to the postseason and the scrutiny and the expectation, all that stuff bakes in, there's, now it's kind of manifesting the pressure and what players, what teams can handle it the best. And, uh you know, to see it come out like that, I just could be more proud. Was this the best version of the Dodgers that you've had? Yeah, it, it was. And I think that, you know, you can look on paper and argue that 17 team or the 18 team that we won, you know, I don't know, 104 or five games, whatever it might have been. Um, but I think that, and granted, we got a player like Mookie Betts who's, you know, top two or three players in all of baseball. Um, but I think the mindset of our guys offensively, which we've always had talented players, but I think that just the quality of that that we took throughout the entire postseason was, uh, you know, grades above what we've done in, in years past. And I think that the, 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 the roster, but also I think the way the players went about it. So I think the Mookie factor certainly put us over the top. As crazy as this may sound, Dave, is he better than you thought you were getting? I mean, you saw him from afar, and he's an MVP in the American League, and he can affect the game in so many ways. And now you write his name in the lineup every day, and you watch his work habits every day. Uh, is he is he actually better than you thought, perhaps? He's better. He's better. Because I think that, and, and I had a high bar, and I think we all did. Um, but anyone can, you know, assess a player. You know, you do your digging on the makeup. You look at the back of the baseball cards. We can do that. Um, but I think for me, to be able to see him in our clubhouse on the day in, day out, to watch the way he worked with intent uh, consistently every day. And also, when you're getting a superstar player, it's hard to, to – and I've been around a lot of players, as a few. Those guys only have – and everyone only has a certain amount of bandwidth. And most of those guys only have a bandwidth for themselves to be that elite, elite player. But Mookie just has this unique ability to be mindful of everyone around him and to make them better and really consciously try to make them better and be open. And so for me, that's, and I've said this before, is that he's not only having an impact on our club, you know, in organization right now, but I'm certain when we look out five, seven, ten years, he's going to affect players that aren't even drafted by the Dodgers yet. I can't remember, Dave, if you if you told me at some point during the season on one of these Zoom calls or where I heard it, maybe it was from Alana, that he assimilated and became a Dodger, I, I mean, almost instantaneously from when you regathered, uh, or actually when you initially gathered in, in March. Yeah, that that's, that's something where we talked about a little bit where the first, day of full squad workouts in spring training of 2020, um, before we kind of got hit with the pandemic, he texted me and asked if he could address the guys after I spoke. And um, and he said he wanted Clayton Kershaw's number so he could text him and see if it was okay. And so we both kind of gave our stamp of approval. For me, it was a no-brainer. 
And what what was telling me was a couple takeaways. One is that he wasn't signed yet at that point in time. So he was going to be a soon to be agent after 20. And so the message for him was how we can be better and be mindful of the little things, loving practice, um, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. And really kind of calling guys out in the most respectful way, and it was received as such. But I think for a player, whoever it is, to go into a basic clubhouse with a team that's already been successful and to put yourself out there says a lot about a person's makeup. And even after that meeting, uh, David Price, who played with them for, for the last few years, said, I've never seen Mookie come to the forefront and take initiative like that. So that was something that our guys really embraced. Is there a play he made that, that stood out in the in the postseason run more than than others? You know, I watched every night, and you know, I certainly have a, a couple of images. Whether his break from third a couple of times, or you know, going over the wall. I mean, was there one that stood out where you where you just kind of shook your head? Oh my gosh! You know, um, I think. Gosh, I, I think the uh, I think that ball that double play. Um, that he closed in on that uh, ball to right field that we ended up doubling off Ozuna. And he ended up making the play, but for him to close on that ball, and Ozuna obviously didn't tag up, but that right there, that's a game, that's a series that went seven games, and that was a pivotal play because that would have been an extra run for those guys, and kept it within two, I think, um, or maybe one. And uh, but the robbing of the home runs, the play that was played here, the Cattell Marte play uh, that he's doing from right corner, right field corner to third base on the line to get a good runner. That, there's been so many things in the base running, the double steal with Pomerantz when he takes the mound, and uh, you know Tingler goes to the mound to get a matchup pitcher batter matchup, and we go second, third, double steals. So Changed the dynamic of that inning, and we tacked on some runs. So there's just so many things that he does to help a baseball team win. Yeah, he's he's an absolute joy to watch. Uh, when you think about Clayton Kershaw and the you know first ballot Hall of Fame career, he's arguably one of the greatest starting pitchers ever. And I don't want to say a much maligned, but but shall we say a much scrutinized postseason career. Uh, going into 2020, to see him not only have personal success, but you know the ultimate prize in in winning a world championship, um, that had to be particularly gratifying for you uh, as well. To you know, almost from a vicarious standpoint, it, it certainly was. Um, and I think that you know with sports, when uh, you're one of the greatest of all time, there's always going to be skeptics and people poking holes. Um, and that comes with part of the territory. Um, but, you know, a lot of times for me, it just got really tiresome um, to hear, you know, the, the doesn't perform in the postseason. And, you know, and that's kind of what you hear first before potentially a first out Hall of Famer. And you know, I see him on a day-in, day-out basis. And I just can't imagine the burden that he had to endure uh, and to still handle it with grace and class. And, I think that it's just a really short-sighted way that people have taken in, in times, in my opinion, Drew, that they don't look at the four days, that the short rest going in and pitching an extra postseason game. So in this era, guys don't do it anymore. 
you know, and, and to take the ball and to be willing to take the ball and put himself out there, that's what great players, in my mind, do. And he's done that. Um, but he's a first ball Hall of Famer. And I think for me, that's why it's all the emotion for me. And I'm sure you saw from Clayton. And uh, I, I think he's going to be even better. I, I really do. Yeah, he's he's a he's been a marvelous talent. It's a it's a wonderful story, and and from afar, I was I was happy for him because I especially in this day and age that we all exist, whether it's sports or anything else, with social media and everybody trying to pull people down and tear people down as opposed to raise people up. I was uh, I was really pleased to see his success, uh, you know, individually and obviously collectively for you guys. I, I got to ask you this also, and, and this is not a, a Kevin Cash. Question: I know you would you would never go there. I mean, you have to manage your team, and everybody has to manage their own uh, team. But will we see a pushback a little bit, Dave, on some of the analytics in that you know allow you guys to almost at times a gut feel um, or knowing how a person has been you know over the last couple of days and and, and making a play or, or a move, I should say from a managerial standpoint that is more based on, on old school stuff as opposed to what the analytics say? No, absolutely. And I think that there's got to be a balance, like with anything. Um, but I will say this is, you know, the Rays, and they have a process. Uh, and, and if you look at what they've done with the resource they've had, uh, they've been – not even arguably, they've been uh, undoubtedly the best team in, in, in Major League Baseball, you know, dollar for dollar. And I, I think that with the postseason certainly comes scrutiny, and that that goes without saying. Um, but I do believe, Drew, that with analytics, it, it's a word that has kind of come to the forefront in the last five years, five to six years, where it, it, it's almost like a curse word to, to baseball lifers and people that love the game, like we all do. Um, whereas in looking at it differently as an in information or facts, it might have been received a little bit differently. So my point being is we use analytics all the time, and, and industries across the world use analytics, information. But I do think that fans, media, people that are in the game currently – when something doesn't go well, the default is it's because of analytics. But some, when something does go well, and it might be analytics or data-driven, it's pushed aside and forgotten about. So I think that a lot of things just come or more forefront of mind that don't when it doesn't work out. And it's always blamed on analytics and not the gut. So I've seen it work a lot of times. I still make mistakes on both sides. And uh, we all do as leaders and managers and coaches. Um, but uh, certainly the eyes, the gut, all that should be layered in when you do make a decision. Absolutely. Yeah. Amen to that. I have said so many times in conversations on the air with, with Spilly and, and with Huey, when the Rockies are playing the Dodgers, invariably, you know, you're talking about Max Muncy, you're talking about Chris Taylor, you're talking about Justin Turner. And it seems like the Dodgers have done an incredible job of career resurrections um, and not just, hey, this guy was kind of, uh, you know, toiling and trying to find his way and he becomes a, a piece. In the case of Muncie, 
you know, he's become a, a star level player. Chris Taylor, you know, pretty close to that. Obviously, Justin Turner is one of the toughest outs and has been in baseball. Why have the Dodgers been so successful uh, in that regard? Well, um, yeah, I, I think that that's something that we're all very proud of. And I think that people um, can be short-sighted and look at payroll. But I think that the thing that we're most proud of is, you know, finding guys like that. And um, we found it on the pitching side as well uh, and developing, uh, you know, a farm system and keep building throughout. Um, but I think with those guys, I think there's just, you know, trying, you know, there's development, there's the hitting guys, there's the strength conditioning guys and just kind of making guys their body work, trying to figure out some things with their swing mechanically. And also you still have to have really good players around them to kind of plug them in so they can kind of, be the best versions or realize the best versions of themselves. Um, but I just don't think there's an exact science to it. I think we've been fortunate. And, and also, you mentioned those guys, uh, Drew. These guys are high-character uh, guys. And a lot of things that I preach to our guys um, in our organization is not only having the most talented players, but having the smartest players. Because uh, if you do that, uh, then you give yourself a, a really good chance to win. Yeah. Well, speaking of smarts, I'm going to take you back now. Um, you and I are, are somewhat similar in age. Um, people may not realize this, but at one time you were recruited and I believe offered by the Air Force Academy to be an option quarterback uh, after a really nice career in uh, suburban San Diego. What do you recall of, of those times in football versus eventually walking on at UCLA in baseball? Yeah, I, I was going to play for Fisher to Barry. Um, I graduated in 1990, and uh, I was a, I was an option quarterback, and um, so football was my first passion. And I was going to run the option, and uh, G. Dallas, I think, was a quarterback at that time. And um, I had my appointment. I was ready to go, and kind of in September – no, 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 it was in August, early August, so after I'd already graduated in June, I just kind of had cold feet about – uh, going in the Air Force for five years, um, playing football. I had already had uh, ACL reconstruction. So I essentially walked on to UCLA to play baseball because uh, I got accepted there uh, academically and sort of bet on myself. And uh, so that was the end of my football career. But I was looking forward to my father was in the Marine Corps, so me going to the Air Force wasn't really a problem. But just kind of, I kind of wanted to enjoy a normal college life, and I just didn't know if – football playing on Sundays was going to be in the cards for me and I think I made the right decision. Fisher DeBerry is one of my all-time favorites because uh, I mean listening he, doing Air Force games back when he was there and if you listen to that southern drawl of his I mean he gets you ready to run out and run out of the tunnel and and I will say this also and I'm sure you will concur D, the late D. Dallas was one of the five greatest option quarterbacks uh, I think of all time. He was. I mean, he was with uh, Jamel Holloway and Tommy Frazier, those type guys, uh, Charles Thompson at Oklahoma, those guys, uh, and D. Dallas, uh, those guys that I kind of just loved watching. Hey, at, at UCLA, uh, your junior year, you go really late in the draft um, after, after. correct me if I'm wrong, a couple of really good years in, in Westwood, and, and you come back for your senior year. Did that turn out to be – Oh, I, I guess a blessing in disguise in that you finish your degree, I think, in, in history. And, you know, ultimately you go the next year as a 28th rounder with Detroit. Was that a blessing in some regards? 
I, I guess if you look back, in my, if I look back at my career, it was a blessing because I did get my degree. But I was, uh, you know, to be quite frank, I was pissed um, because I, I – I felt I outperformed, you know, people in the Pac-6 conference, South, Pac-6 South, uh, all throughout the country. And um, because I didn't have a good arm, you know, I ended up getting drafted in the 37th round. And later, as a senior, uh, I ended up signing for a whopping uh, $1,000 after having another great year. So I had a chip on my shoulder. And, you know, I got the best advice from my, an old roommate of mine who ended up signing before. Uh, and he just said, hey, GR, let me tell you something. Take that chip, that frustration, and go out there and perform because if you don't, the game's going to keep moving on without you. And that just really hit me like a ton of bricks. And it's like, you know what, I can be as mad as I want and go get a regular job, but baseball's not going to feel sorry for me. And so I just kind of took that and kind of grinded throughout the minor leagues and spent five years in the minors and then, uh, you know, found a way to carve out uh, a 10-year career and, you know, I, w- I can't say I even saw myself in this position I am today, and I think it's just one of those things, just kind of being grateful and working hard at wherever you're at. Well, that takes me to one of my favorite lines, my a line I often repeat, whether it's coaching high school-level kids or my own boys, uh, and that is I will take 25 guys with a chip on their shoulder over 25 pretty guys every day of the week. Yeah, that's right. I love that. I, I love that because, uh, you know, the looks are going to go, too. But the grit, the toughness, that's always there. That's innate. So uh, I'm I'm with you on that. We'll continue with Dodgers manager Dave Roberts in a moment. But first, this from my friends at Ideal Home Loans. Brent Ivinson's team is uh, simply superb. They have saved folks thousands and thousands of dollars throughout the year. And I know because I'm one of those folks. In fact, I'm in the process of refinancing right now. Give them a call at 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000, it's Ideal Home Loans. They're going to save you money if you're refinancing, if you're purchasing a home, that's a no-brainer. If you want to consolidate debt, give them a call. Even if you know someone else, you would be foolish not to give them a call and to compare and contrast, and my gut tells you you're going to end up with them because... They're very, very good at what they do, and they have saved people a ton of money through the years. Ideal Home Loans, 303-867-7000. Give Brent Ivinson's team a call. Now more with an old friend and a guy who's now world champion, Dave Roberts of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Dave, did you have to utilize the same... Oh, mentality, if you will. Your good friend, who I know you had breakfast with this morning as we taped this uh, the day before Thanksgiving, Buddy Black. Uh, you know, you were his bench coach. And Buddy, in, in 2015, gets, you know, relieved of his duties. You guys were just a game under 500 at the time. And the interim job ultimately goes to Pat Murphy and and not you. And I remember saying this, and I'm not, and I'm, I've told you this before. I'm not just stating it for these purposes. Um, I was shocked that that you didn't get that job. Now, it certainly turned out well because in the offseason you become the Dodger manager, but was that disappointing at that point in time? Yeah, I I think it goes back to initially it was disappointing that Buddy was let go because he was the right person uh, for that job with that team um, and for this city. And so then for me to just get overlooked uh, was very uh, disappointing. And, you know, building a relationship with Pat Murphy throughout that 
season, the rest of the season was, was, I think, great for both of us. And that's the way, as a professional, you need to handle it. Um, but I think at that point in time, I realized that I needed to move on. And, um, you know, that's one of those things. Uh, I, I think that the, the whole thing for myself and my playing and, and professional career is you got to bet on yourself. And if you don't kind of believe the people that are around you, you got to choose to move on. And at that point in time, I didn't have a job after uh, 15. And so, you know, fortunately, the, jo- the Dodger opportunity came on, and, and uh, I could be happier. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you a couple uh, a couple other things about where we are in baseball right now. Did it, as a guy that was, you know, scrappy and ran well and did all the little things and, and had a, a, a toughness, as we were just talking about, the Dodgers are world champs. You don't apologize for that. Uh, but we've become a home run strikeout uh, offensive type of game now. Aesthetically, does that disturb you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, you know, anyone in baseball, whether you're on the uh, executive side, you're on the player side, um, you're going to construct a team under the, uh, the the construct of how to win baseball games, and that's how you're going to construct a roster. And now when you're talking about the players, you're going to do what gets you compensated. And so now you're looking at, Players that are getting drafted are guys that throw hard, hit the ball far, um, and that's about it. And the guys that can put the bat on the ball, don't strike out, don't slug, just don't have the value. Or the pitchers with command that put the ball in play but get out uh, efficiently don't have that value anymore. So, yeah, I just think there's got to be a fundamental change in our game. Um, to get those dynamic players, to get a game that's optically more uh, enjoyable for everyone. When you look at the rule changes that uh, everyone played under in the 60-game truncated season, uh, what were your takeaway of those rule changes? How many uh, would you like to see uh, implemented full-time moving forward? You know, I, I, I think I like them all. Um, and, and I think, you know, let's start with uh, – you know, one that I don't think will sustain itself is the, the seven-inning doubleheaders. Um, when, it, you know, you guys deal with snow and weather, and I think that, you know, I, I like that. And, and, you know, it shortens games and, and shortens pitchers and players, and I like that. I like the uh, extra inning guy on second base. You know, there's nothing worse than a manager having to send a guy out after he threw three innings to keep a team in a ball game because it has an extra option. And when you get into the 12, 13 inning, guys are giving it bats away anyway. So I like that guy on second base to start the extra inning. Um, I personally like the DH. Uh, we didn't use it as a conventional DH. We kind of allowed for guys to rotate to get a day off, essentially, in that DH spot. Um, so I like that, the three-batter minimum. I didn't mind that either. Um, it, it certainly – shorten a little bit of the each batter pitching changes, um, but I don't think it really had an impact on shortening the game much. I don't, I don't think so, um, but I didn't mind that. 
Yeah. I, I, you know what? I was, I've always been a National League guy growing up in New York. I was a Mets fan and I, and I loved the, the strategy that you all as managers had to, you know, think through the later innings and how to utilize your bench and your pen, et cetera. But you know what? The pitchers now are so dominant and every guy that you call upon or uh, coming out of the pen throwing a hundred with, you know, nasty sliders. It's hard enough for the guys that, that are position players to try to perform, to ask a guy who's a pitcher to try to, you know, get ahead or, or to do something positive offensively. I think it's it's become almost a waste of time. So I'm I'm good with the DH uh, as well. Well, with that DH, one thing I, I, I started to interrupt, but I, I like the idea. I've heard this one is that if you implement a DH in both leagues, um, now once you pull your starter out, then you lose the DH. And so I kind of like that. So there's a little strategy in itself that you might want to run your starter out a little bit longer because if he's out after one time, two times through the order, then now you're going to essentially lose your DH and you got to pinch hit every time that spot comes up. So I kind of like that that I've heard. Yeah. I know Buddy uh, used the DH in that regard as well in terms of, uh, you know, giving guys a, a day off their feet, guys like Charlie Blackman. I know you utilized it, which takes – you just reminded me, Doc, of one of my favorite lines – of the 2020 season, you uttered it. We were playing, the Rockies were playing the Dodgers, and Mookie, I think it was the first game of a series, wasn't in the lineup. You were naturally asking your pregame presser about that, and you said, Mookie's getting a spa day. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> you know what? I, I did. And I think that, you know, with guys that, you know, grind it out and play every day, I think for me, it's, there's a, there's a cost to everything. So, to get him ramped up and to keep him on edge that he might get in there, might not, I think that there's a cost maybe for the next day. So for me, a guy that was that plays essentially every day, I just wanted him to kind of be free and easy and felt that, you know what, every game's important. Um, but I just felt that with the 27 other players we had, we still have a chance to win a baseball game. And I think that Mookie and, and ultimately the Dodge was better for us. So, yeah, I dubbed it a spot day, and I think he appreciated that. <laughs> that was, I, I got I got a, a very nice chuckle uh, out of that. Hey, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you one more time about your relationship with Buddy. Again, we often talk about it on the broadcast, how close you guys are. And I know you text back and forth, uh, you know, during the season and uh, and get together uh, a fair amount in, in the off season. I think there's a lot of similarities between you guys. Uh, I, I describe you both as, as truly player managers and and very cerebral uh, guys in the game and very likable guys. I would assume it's a really a natural friendship. It's a natural friendship. And, and Buddy just really uh, mentored me and was a friend to me, a mentor, and gave me an opportunity to coach at the big league level. And, um, you know, so for me to see, you know, how he managed players, how he delegated responsibilities, how he managed – you know, the front office and and media and, and all this stuff, and now he's always uh, relentlessly positive and always for the player. I really took to that, and you know, for me, it's one thing he also told me is that if you ever want to manage, you better know and learn pitching. And as a, as a former outfielder, that's something that under his watch, I really had that opportunity to learn pitching. But uh, yeah, I owe a lot to Buddy and. Uh, we don't talk a whole lot during the season. I think that we kind of understand the lines drawn and there's respect. But um, but in the off season, we definitely catch up a ton. 
Yeah. What What's your view from afar uh, of the Rockies? And, you know, certainly they probably have more challenges, you know, based on the altitude thing than, than the other 29 teams in baseball. But, uh, you know, I know fans were, were so tickled a couple of years ago when they were very close to, to maybe winning a division. It came down to game 163 at your place. Uh, but what, what's your view of the Rockies? Well, you know, what's interesting is that it's, you know, it's, I think now it's the starting pitching has really kind of come and, uh, the arms, uh, you know, have really started to come. Um, obviously, uh, you know, uh, Herman, uh, is leading that charge. Um, I think the hitting is just kind of the, the, the guys are very talented. You know, anytime you face the Rockies, you know, any one guy can hurt you, it can slug. Um, I just think that this year was so different that, you know, guys couldn't get any traction on, on the hitting side of things. Um, but, yeah, you know, for us, to, I don't think anyone's really figured out how to sustain success, you know, in Colorado. Because I know even for us going in there, you know, it takes a toll on our guys when we come out of Colorado versus as we're playing there. And so, you know, how guys that play there come out of a home series to so then go on the road and how that ball flight, whether it's the spin and all this kind of stuff, how your body responds from altitude to getting at sea level. I, I just don't think that there's an exact science. Clearly, uh, you know, it's been hard to figure that one out. Yeah, no question. Dave, last one. Are you a lifer, man? I mean, uh, <laughs> what do you think? Oh, man, I, I, you know what? I, I think in some capacity, I just love the game. Um, I, I do want to see the game get back to – kind of what we want to see is ball and play, um, that dynamic player. But I do think that, you know, we're seeing the best baseball players, athletes across industries that we've ever seen. Um, so, Lifer, I think you might have to ask my wife that question. Um, I like travel. I like wine. But uh, I think you and, you and I are going to be talking about baseball, uh, about players for quite some time. Uh, you know what? I'm I'm all in. Hey, hey Dave, uh, it, it's always great to catch up, man. And uh, I wish you and your family a very happy Thanksgiving and uh, and the best in the new year for not only uh, you guys but uh, but uh, for for the for the world community, if you will. Yeah, absolutely, Drew. Thanks for having me on, and uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, and uh, let's just hope and pray uh, spring training starts on time and. Uh, we can get 21 uh, to be a little bit more normal. Yeah, hallelujah to that. Doc, be well, man. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Dave Roberts is a good man. It's hard to root for the Dodgers. and I, It's easy to hate the Dodgers because they're always sitting atop, it seems like, the National League West. What is it, uh, eight years in a row they've won the division title. They have you know financial resources that, that few teams have in baseball. And the, the Rockies are always going to battle that. But from an individual standpoint, from a, from a good guy standpoint, uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find better uh, than Dave Roberts. Uh, naturally, by the way, for those folks wondering, hey, were you going to ask him about you know Nolan Arenado and the rumors that Dodgers are interested? There's a lot of teams that would be interested if Nolan uh, is traded uh, by the Rockies, and certainly the Dodgers would head up that list. And if that were ever to come down the pike... Um, you know, we'll have definitive opinions on that uh, here on the podcast. But you know, Dave Roberts is is not going to uh, not only reveal his hand, but certainly talking uh, to me. Um, even though we get along very well, he's not going to come out and say anything other than 
what we know. Nolan Arenado is a great player, and every team would like to have uh, a Nolan Arenado uh, penciled into their lineup playing third base every day, you know, including the Colorado Rockies. All right, I told you I was going to talk about uh, a couple of television items. You know what I'm really excited for? Um, and we can talk about this on next week's podcast uh, a little bit more. But the made-for-television golf events. Like, when nothing was going on, we got a huge kick. At least I did, and I suggest a lot of other people did as well. When, you know, Tiger and, and Phil got together with Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. You have four superstars, two from football and, and two, obviously, from the golf world. It made for really good television. Well, I'm fired up for the day after Thanksgiving when it's Mickelson and one of the, the funniest guys and you know most entertaining athletes, ex-athletes out there in Sir Charles Barkley. They're teaming up. And, of course, Barkley has a an infamously poor golf swing. He has the yips and, and how Phil is going to carry him around the golf course and compete with Peyton Manning and, uh, and one of the great basketball players of our time, Steph Curry, who's uh, I think a plus one on the golf course. It's going to be interesting, but you have an abundance of personality out there between Mickelson and Barkley. Steph Curry, is, is, every time you, you hear him, he's, he seems to be uh, you know a fun guy to be around. And we all know Peyton super well uh, in this town. There's nobody wittier in sports than Peyton Manning. I, I'm supercharged to watch that. It also got me thinking about golf is the one sport where our iconic sports figures from yesteryear can get together and we still want to watch. I mean, I don't. as great as Michael Jordan was, I don't want to watch Michael Jordan play one-on-one against Charles Barkley anymore. They're middle-aged guys. That's not, that's not going to be fun and entertaining. I don't want to watch, uh, you know, Brett Favre and, and Donald Driver in a flag football, uh, you know, matchup with Joe Montana and Jerry Weiss, Rice. I mean, they're way past their prime, you know, probably wouldn't be entertaining. But when you get personalities who are playing golf, it works, especially when they're carried by, you know, two great pros like, you know, Mickelson and Tiger Woods. So I'm all in on that. And in fact, if you want to hit the uh, website, the DrewGoodmanPodcast.com, give me some suggestions of guys that you'd like to see down the road in a made-for golf event, because I know there will be uh, several more after that. And speaking of uh, a made-for-television event, also on pay-per-view going on this weekend, the return of Iron Mike. Mike Tyson is fighting Roy Jones Jr., who during his heyday was always looked upon as maybe the best fighter pound for pound in the world. He was a middleweight and then late in his career moved up to cruiserweight. Well, both guys are now decidedly middle-aged. I will say this. I'm not going to pay for that one. But in watching some of the video of Mike Tyson go through some of his workouts and hit the bag or, you know, work with a trainer in the ring, that is still one violent looking guy. I don't, I don't care that Mike Tyson's 53. Who in the heck would want to get in the ring with him? He still moves well and it looks like he still hits harder than everybody else. Not watching that one. Look forward to the highlights, but I do think it has a little bit of intrigue. But I'm all in on uh, on the golf deal. 
Listen, you have a marvelous and, and happy Thanksgiving. Stay safe naturally. Stay well. Uh, we're thankful for a lot of things, especially uh, you know all of the things we've had to deal with in 2020. There's still a, a ton to be thankful for. And it begins with family. So enjoy yours. And we'll reconvene uh, a week from now on the Drew Goodman Podcast. Thank you very much for, uh, for jumping on board once again. Big thanks to uh, Dave Roberts uh, as well. Take care, and we'll talk to you next week. Happy Thanksgiving, folks.